going to wrap up um, our, our spontaneous series called Transfixed from the book of Acts. Um, we are in Acts chapter 10 this morning. Get your Bibles out if you would. I, I just, I, in my own life, I love what the Lord, what the Spirit is sort of unpacking as I have been working through these stories of epiphanies in the book of Acts. And that's sort of what, that's the, the, the common thread between these three messages there um, in, with the, in Acts, I believe, chapter, um, chapter, seven, chapter 6 and 7 with Stephen, seeing the Lord, he's transfixed with the Lord. Um, with Paul's conversion on Damascus Road, he sees, he hears the voice of the Lord. And we're going to look at, at chapter 10 here, sort of the last of one of these with this, with this other supernatural encounter. Um, this, is, this is a little bit different. It's involving these different characters. I want you to, to, to jump in. And let me just read um, a verse that sort of summarizes. This is following, following Saul's conversion. This is in chapter 9. It says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace, Y'all say peace. Come on. We need a time of peace. <laughs> and was strengthened. Isn't it good to know that? It's good to know that even in times of sort of upheaval and difficulty, the Lord still gives us seasons of peace and of growing. It's like letting a field life fallow for a little bit to recover. And the church needed a period of recovery because some of these shifts and this persecution was so intense. So uh, enjoy a time of peace and with strength, listen to this, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I think there's a whole message, a whole sermon just in that one verse right there. The fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it's increasing in numbers. So this is the church. Our next character arrives on the scene, this guy named Peter. You know Peter. Peter's one of the original 12. He's the fisherman from Galilee. He's the impetuous, impulsive, loudmouth one. He's the one who swore he would never deny Jesus. He's the one who denied Jesus. He's the one who, after the resurrection, decides he's going fishing because he doesn't know what else to do. He's the one who Jesus comes and finds and says, Peter, come on, follow me. He's the one who, by the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, stands up and preaches this message that the world has never seen before with power and boldness, and it sets the world on fire. Peter is on fire with the Holy Spirit. And it says here, he's traveling throughout the country, he's visiting the Lord's people. He goes to this, to this uh, city called Lydda. There he finds a man named Ananias. Ananias, uh, Aeneas, hard to say. Whew. Aeneas is paralyzed. Peter prays. Guess what happens? He's healed. That's right. That's what happens. I mean, that's just like, yeah. You, you don't see anybody pray in Acts, and things don't happen. I mean, they're just, they're, they're lit. They're going. He goes on to Joppa. There's a, a seaport town called Joppa. That's where our story's going to take place. He meets a, a disciple named Tabitha. And uh, Tabitha dies. This is one of the first, this is the first account of the early church raising someone from the dead. This woman who's been serving the church named Tabitha, she's dead. Peter comes in. Everybody's crying. Everybody's talking about how wonderful Tabitha is. Peter kicks them all out. And I, I, I was meditating on, thinking on this the other day. It's like, wow, this is a lot of pressure. Peter is there. He knows that the power of the Holy Spirit is on him, but he's never faced something like this before. He's never done this before, right? What do I do? Everybody's here. Everybody loves this woman. He kicks them out. I bet he and Jesus had a little bit of a come to Jesus meeting. You ever have, can we have come to Jesus meetings with Jesus? I guess so. I guess you go to Jesus. He kicks all the people out, and he's like, okay. He doesn't say this, but I'm thinking, he goes, all right, what, what do I do, Lord? They're expecting the power of the Holy Spirit to come. And, of course, he does. He you know, begins to minister, and he takes her by the hand, speaks to her. He says, Tabitha, get up. 
I love that. I had that thought a week ago as I'm driving down. Am I going to see my father's dead body? Am I going to put into action the things that I have preached and proclaimed and talked about? Do I believe the power of the Holy Spirit can raise my dad from the dead? Those are hard conversations to have with yourself. You know what I'm saying? But I believe that the power is there. Do I know that that's the will of God? No, I don't. But in this case, Peter knew. Peter said, Tabitha, get up. And she gets up. And it's this incredible thing. Became known all over Joppa. What happens when you see miracles? What happens? Miracles. Miracles confirm the gospel. Many people come to the Lord. It says this, verse 43, chapter 43, verse 43. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. It's important to pay attention to that. So he's in Joppa. Joppa is a coastal town um, in Israel along the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and Peter is there with a, with, a, with a guy named Simon. Simon is a tanner. What do tanners do? You guys know? They don't have tanning beds. This is not, you know, this is not Pacific Sun Tanning Salon. He takes animal hides and tans them for use. And many scholars say that this is not really the most ideal trade if you are Jewish. Because it's dead bodies and it's blood and it's all this kind of stuff. So like of all the things that you could do, dealing with dead, dead animals all the time, probably one at the top of the list. It's, it's interesting, though, that that's where Peter is. He's like, I'm going to go stay with this guy. And, and the smell and tanneries would often be so bad that they would sort of say, hey, Simon, please don't, don't start your business here. Please go outside. Go over there by the coast. Go live by the sea where the ocean, waves can, or the, 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 the ocean wind can carry it away. So that's where Simon living. He's, by, he's right there. He's got a condo right there on the beach. He's got a tanning, tanning business. He's going to town. Chapter 10, this is where our story really kicks off. Let me read a little bit to you. So, by the way, 30 miles away is another town on the coast named Caesarea. Caesarea is a, is a, is a coastal town. Technically, it's, it's, it's Jewish. Uh, it was rebuilt by Herod, named after Caesar, in honor of Caesar. Because of all of that, there's, a lot of, there's, a, there's no love lost. The Jews are not friends of Caesarea. In fact, there's a temple to Caesar in Caesarea. So this is an offensive place. It's not really the most ideal. There's more, there's more Roman people than there are Jewish people in Caesarea. But this is where our story picks up. A man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian regiment, he and his family were devout and God-fearing. Pay attention about, it says two things about him. Number one, he gave generously to those in need. He gave generously. That's noteworthy. I was flipping through my phone yesterday, and I came across this little article on my newsfeed that popped up, and it said this guy was at a restaurant in, I don't know, somewhere on the East Coast, and he bought like $7 worth of food, and he left a $16,000 tip. That's newsworthy. I mean, that's like the manager has to call him up and say, buddy, did you make a mistake? Did you mean to leave like $1.60? And he, you know, and like, it was really neat. It was a beautiful story. Like the waitress and they all decided, hey, we're going to share this with our kitchen staff. We're going to share this tip with everybody and who works here. It's beautiful. That's noteworthy. Cornelius' generosity is noteworthy. He gave generously to those in need. And what happened? He prayed to God regularly. Both things. His heart and his hand. Ora et labora. Pray and work. He's doing both. He's like in this rhythm of just honoring the Lord with all that he has. Um, it says this, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. We know later on, and when he recounts his own story in a few more verses, we know that he was in a prayer time. 
at three in the afternoon. This is when Jews would normally have one of their sort of scheduled times for prayer. Cornelius isn't Jewish, but he's saying, hey, if this is when God's people pray, I want to pray too. You guys leave me alone. Wife, leave me alone. Kids, leave me alone. I want to be in prayer. He goes into his closet at three in the afternoon. He has this, he has this vision. He's, watch this. He distinctly saw an angel of God. How many of you distinctly ever see angels of God? There are times when I think maybe it's like, okay, man, is, is that an angel or is that just, you know, am I just tired? He just, he's like, without a doubt, I am seeing an angel of the Lord. Angel who came to me said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. Yes, he did. What is it, Lord, he asked? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering. I'll pay attention to that. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before the Lord. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with, he is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. The Bible calls it something interesting. It calls it a memorial offering. That's, kind of a, that's a reference, and Cornelius may not have known this, but it's a reference to Leviticus 2, back in the Old Testament where there were grain offerings that people would offer. They would, the God's people would come and they would bring these grain offerings. It would be flour, um, you know, milled flour with oil. Um, and this whole offering was to be given. I don't know how much it was, you know, Say it's a basket. This whole thing would be given to, um, would be given to the Lord, to, to, to the priest in the tabernacle. But there was a portion, only a portion of that was actually burned and consumed on the altar. It was like, it was almost as if this small cup, this is the memorial offering. Here's the sacrifice. This small portion, the small cup is God's first fruits. This is the memorial. This is going to go onto the altar and be burned up. The rest of this can be given to, 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 to the people and minister to the people. I mean, to think about what does that mean? Why, why, does, why does the angel say that you, Cornelius, and your acts of, that's what these are. These are acts of righteousness. Why are, how are they a memorial offering? Because I think, I think what's, what, 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 Cornelius, what the angels wanted to make clear to Cornelius and to Peter is that this one individual is the first fruits of a global harvest. Cornelius is the first Gentile convert. Right now, the gospel has been limited to the Jews. Right now, the Holy Spirit has been limited to the Jews. But something is about to happen in this chapter that's going to revolutionize the world. And this is going to be such a paradigm. We talked about crustacean moments a few weeks ago. Crustacean moments when a crab has outgrown its shell and it needs to leave one shell and scurry, you know, it needs to scurry outside of a shell to find a bigger one to grow into. It's that in between. That's, they're very vulnerable, but if you don't, you're going to die. There's one of those moments where the paradigm shift is so significant that, the, that God wants to make it clear, this is what's happening. Cornelius, I see you. I see your acts of righteousness. You're a man after my own heart. You're pursuing me, even though you're not in the faith, even though you're not Jewish. What you have, what, what you have done, that's going to be my memorial. That's going to be my first fruits. You're going to be the first fruits of a global harvest. Maybe Cornelius understands what that means. doesn't matter. Basically, he hears the angel say, send men to Joppa. Get this guy named Simon. Bring him back. And so he does. He sends, back, sends, sends men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon. So let's pause. Scene two opens up, 30 miles to the south in Joppa. That's where we began. Peter is on the rooftop praying. Isn't it interesting that both of these things are happening during prayer meetings? 
In fact, you're going to find in Acts that more things are happening during prayer meetings than you would, you would imagine. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, what are they doing? They're in a prayer meeting, aren't they? I wrote my list here. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple for prayer outside a beautiful gate. That's when they say, they meet this guy, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you, rise up and walk. What are they doing? They're on their way to a prayer meeting. Acts chapter 4, there's another, there's, the Bible says there's another, they're, having, they're gathering together in prayer, Acts chapter 4, and it says that the, holy, that the building was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I say I want this house to be shaken? I know those of you that are like structural engineers are like, no, please don't. We can't. <laughs> What's that going to do to our building? I want it to be shaken. I want the physical place where we are to manifest the presence of God. And here, that's happening when they're gathering together in prayer. Acts chapter 12, same thing. Bible says this. It says, Peter, Peter's been arrested. He's in prison, Acts 12. It says, Peter was in prison, but the church was praying for him. And miracles begin to flow out of that. So here in Acts 10, things are happening. Why? Because people are in places of intercession, places of prayer. Um, so prayer, I believe this, I wrote this down, prayer accelerates breakthrough. Prayer accelerates breakthrough. So now we got another vision. Cornelius had one. Peter's about to have one here. It says this, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. So while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. This sounds like my children when they're hungry. Like they fall over on the ground and they roll around. Oh, I'm so hungry. And they like, you know, begin to foam at the mouth. Okay. So it's just like, oh, he's hungry. He goes up, you know, and we know that the house is by the sea. We know that the, you know, the, the, the sea the breeze from the Mediterranean is coming in. He just gets drowsy and tired. I'm so hungry. And he falls into a trance. It doesn't say he fell asleep. This is not a dream. This is a trance. This is a vision. He saw heaven opened. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting stuck right there. Oh, wait a minute. What do you mean heaven opened? I want to see that. What is that? What else did you see? And something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Some scholars speculate that this is maybe sort of something that he would have witnessed outside that sort of prompted this. Because if, you, if, if you're in a seaport, you've got boats. Boats are full of cargo. Often in the, in the ancient Near East, you know, they're, they're, they're moving sort of cargo from ship to shore to back and forth with sails. You know, put all the stuff in a sail and pick it up by the four corners and, you know, hoist it over. It's possible that Peter would have seen, sort of been used to something like this, which prompted the vision that he's about to have. doesn't matter. Point is, he sees something like a big sheet being let down by its four corners. It contains all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. All kinds of animals, four-footed animals. So we can imagine what's in there, cattle and goats and um, pigs and Whatever else, if my, yeah. And, hold on, it's important to say this, as well as reptiles and birds. Things that Jewish people don't eat. They don't eat iguana. If you've been to Central America, you can eat iguana. It tastes like chicken. They don't eat that here. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. He's in this trance, he sees this stuff, he's starving hungry. God, I'm so hungry for food. What's taking so long in the kitchen? Just give me a sandwich. And he sees this, and the voice says, Peter, get up. Get up, get up and, and, and kill. Get yourself something to eat. Peter says, no. There's no way. 
Surely not Lord. That's the biggest contradiction in the Bible right there. No, comma, Lord. Think on that. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Voice spoke to him a second time. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken to heaven. Three times this is happening. It's very similar to sort of his, his sort of, you know, his betrayal uh, of Jesus three times, his restoration in John 21 three times. So, like, Peter seems to need this three-time thing to kind of get things going into his head. Doesn't seem to get it the first time. He's wrestling with this, and I'm betting he thinks this is a temptation. I'm betting he thinks the Lord is testing him to see how devout of a Jew are you. If I put this delicious forbidden fruit in front of you, Peter, are you strong enough to say no to it? And Peter's like, of course, I'm strong enough to say no to it. But that's not what God has in mind at all. What you think of as a temptation might be a transition into greater things. Peter saw this as a temptation, but it really wasn't. This was the beginning of a transition from the old into the new. And this, guys, this, this event right here, this chapter right here is so pivotal. This is one of the most critical chapters in all of, of, of Scripture. What's happening here is like, it's, it's, after Pentecost, I think it's the most significant event in the book of Acts. The gospel and the spirit and the kingdom are about to go to the ends of the earth. And Peter is having to make this decision for himself. Am I willing to transition from the old to the new? Am I willing to let go of my old understanding, these old paradigms, things that have been ingrained in me from the beginning, things that I've grown up with, things that I've been taught from synagogue school from the time I was this big? Can I transition into something new? And he has to make that call. He has to make that decision. So the old to the new, Peter knows this is not about food. This is something else is going. He does, actually, he doesn't know, and this is why it says that. It's happened three times. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius stopped and came by. So he's got a vision. Now he needs confirmation. This is important because I think that when, when there is a shift this significant, God is going to go out of his way to confirm that. This is not just a dream. Peter, this is not an, he can't just have this dream and wake up and say, hey guys, by the way, I had this really crazy dream. I think that we should allow all the Gentiles to come in and eat with us at our table. I think they should be able to be part of this new faith that, we've, that, 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 that Jesus showed us. He would be stoned. He would be thrown out. He would be like kicked out of every synagogue he's been to because the, 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 the paradigm shift is so significant that there needs to be a confirmation to the vision that he's already had. And that's why there are two visions, two different stories that the Lord is going to bring together to confirm that this seismic shift is about to happen. So a major paradigm shift, vision is followed by confirmation. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering, pitch into this, verse 17, while Peter was wondering about these things, and verse 19, while Peter was still thinking about these things. So there's there's almost, there's this intentionality in Peter to understand what's happening. I love how Jesus didn't unpack all of this in the vision. He didn't say, Peter, this is what it means. He actually planted the seed in Peter and he expected Peter to wrestle a little bit with this. Hunger brings revelation, I believe. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will be, blessed are the, are the poor in spirit for there's the kingdom of God. Those who, are hung, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. 
So he puts this hunger inside of Peter to understand. He's thinking about, he's wondering about these things. These men show up. Three men arrive. Verse 23. Um, So they come. uh, Peter was still thinking about the vision. The spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. This is all news. He doesn't know anything about this. He goes down. The men say, hey, we're from Cornelius in Caesarea. He's a righteous and God-fearing man. An angel showed up to him and said for us to bring him back. And this is where decision time comes. Peter has to make this decision. Am I going to leave? Am I going to go and do this? Am I going to go visit the home of a Gentile? It's one thing for Peter to open up his door and let Gentiles into his home. That's not the best, but that's okay a little bit. But the other way around is not okay. He should not be in the home of a Gentile, yet alone a Roman soldier. But he has to make this decision. Okay, I've had this dream. I've had this vision. I'm hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying. I know there's a whole lot at stake. I know that God has been doing things that I can't explain and I don't understand, but it seems that, 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 that the Spirit is expanding our understanding of, 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 of who the gospel is for. Verse 23, then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with him, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. So they make their way down. They make their way down into to, um, to Caesarea. Cornelius, I love this. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Y'all, that's faith. That's awesome. He has no idea if Peter's going to come. He doesn't know Peter. Who is he? But he sends them, and he's so convinced that the Lord is in this, he sends the three men out, and he's expecting them to come back with Peter. That's faith. And not only is he expecting these guys, he's saying, guys, come on, aunts, uncles, cousins, I want, you guys, I want you guys here because something big is about to happen when this guy Peter shows up. Peter does show up, something big is about to happen. He falls to his feet. Peter says, no, don't get up. Don't, don't bow down. Um, he, finds this, he finds this group of people, and he begins to preach this message, this gospel message. This is a typical evangelistic message in Acts. Peter, you know, Peter knows how to unpack the good news. Peter asked, why, you know, why, why, you, why did you sin for me? Cornelius gives his account of stories again. Peter says this, verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, from every nation, the one who fears him. So in that journey, Peter's, he's getting the picture now. Ah, I see it. It's not about food, is it, Lord? No, Peter, it's not about food. It's not about kosher diet, is it? No, Peter, it's really not about kosher diet. You're about to blow my mind, aren't you, God? Yes, Peter, I'm about to blow your mind. God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him, and he does what is right. We're seeing the heart of the Father. It begins to preach to them. You know what happened, he says. You know what happened throughout the province. He's assuming they know because they're God-fearing, Jew, God-fearing um, people. He assumes they know. He says, you know how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. We're witnesses. We saw everything that he did. I got to tell you guys, this is incredible. We saw how you know, that he was crucified, but he was raised up from the dead. We were there. We ate and drank with him, says Peter. 
This isn't just like metaphor, like, oh, he lives forever in our hearts. Peter says, no, we, listen, guys, we had food with this guy who was dead and is alive again. And he's unpacking this. But here's the crazy thing. All the prophets testify, verse 44, this is what's going to blow your mind. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. I mean, come on. It's like, it's like the Holy Spirit didn't have our worship planner here. Somebody should have given him one of these. Don't you know how this is supposed to go? We've got our songs, one, two, three, four, five. We've got our announcements. We've got giving. We've got special We've got the message. And then, Holy Spirit, that's when you're supposed to come. You've got to wait until I get the message. You've got to wait until I do the altar call. The Holy Spirit says, I can't wait for you to get done. Peter, you're taking too long. And Peter begins to speak the words, and the Spirit falls upon these people in power and in fire. The Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. Listen to this. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. You know what I love is it doesn't say that Peter was astonished. I think Peter was expecting it. Peter knew this was about to happen. Like, he's just enjoying it. He's like, all right, I'm just going to keep preaching until the Holy Spirit falls. Here we go. Let's go to the book of Genesis and work our way through. So he's preaching along. The, 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 the circumcised believers who come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Oh, I bet that offended some hearts. I bet that offended some minds. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. I could be honest with you, if I'm there, I'm probably one of those. I'm probably one of those getting offended. Who do they think they are? They're, they're, not, they're not Jewish. They're not God's chosen people. They weren't at Pentecost with us. They've not been circumcised. They've not been baptized. They've not gone through catechism. They've not said, pray the sinner's prayer. What is this nonsense, them speaking in tongues here? Peter said, Peter, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. This is the only incident, incident in the Gospels where people are baptized with the Holy Spirit before they are technically saved. It goes against our understanding, doesn't it? I think it's a reflection of the heart of God who's been waiting for this moment for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. He prophesied it. He prophesied it in Joel. I pour out my spirit on who? All flesh. He's been wanting to do this. I think also that the baptism of the Holy Spirit before salvation is strategic. Because had Peter given a traditional message, an altar call, and Cornelius' family says, yes, we want to be baptized, I think for those other religious folk like me standing around, they're going to have a hard time with that. They're going to say, but, 
do they really believe? Is God really in this? Maybe they're not sincere. Maybe we need to go have, we, sh- we really should go have an elder meeting about this. We need to go back to Jerusalem. We need to talk to James and the others. Let's table this for a while and pray and fast about this and see if we can open up the faith to these. That's probably what would have happened. And Cornelius would have had to sort of put pause on his encounter with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit said, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to bring the fire now and remove any doubt that this is not of me. Snaps his fingers and the Holy Spirit falls in power. And there's no doubt. That's what Peter says. He's like, "Um, is anybody still confused as to what's happening here? Didn't think so. Let's get some water. Let's baptize these brothers and sisters into the faith. Come on, this is awesome. The shift will be so great that a miraculous validation was needed. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. There's more to the story. There's, a, there's some, I don't want to say collateral damage, but there's some loose ends to tie up because the shift is so great in, this, in the church. The, the, the disruption to our thinking is so profound. They call Peter back. Peter has to go. He's got to explain himself. He's got to say, guys, this is what happened. I had this dream, and these guys show up, and I go, and the Holy Spirit falls. What am I supposed to do? And in their wisdom, the church leaders say, praise be to God. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And guess who the fruits of this chapter are? Me. And you, most of you, some of you may be Jewish, I'm not, but I'm a recipient of this grace right here, of Acts 10 kind of grace. It's so good, right? All right, let's stand. There's so many sort of application things to talk about. We could talk about, you know, prejudice and how the gospel is for everyone. I'm not going to do that. I just want to encourage you, as I have these last weeks, get a vision of Jesus. Get transfixed with Jesus. Learn to hear his voice. Practice hearing his voice. Practice listening. Practicing, yes. Practice being in places of, of, of waiting on him in prayer and worship. I think when we are, we're like lightning rods for the miraculous. Holy Spirit. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you for what you've poured out on all. All who say yes to you, all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you pour it out without measure. You give without measure. We praise you, Lord. Praise you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for how you visited us this morning, how you've been here already, how you meet us, Lord. 
how you meet us, Lord, how you come. Thank you, Lord, how you pursue the one. You leave the 99 and you go after the one. You don't hold back. (laughs) You don't hold back. We just say, come. Holy Spirit, come. That's all we say today. Come in our hearts, Lord. In our bodies, Lord. Come in our children, Lord. Move in our children. Fire, wind, beautiful spirit.